0: Welcome to the Don't Die Podcast, sponsored by Aloe Treatment Centers. They're out in Malibu. They're in Silver Lake. It's a treatment center I started with some friends. We want you to get the right treatment, the right program for you, and stop dying.
1: We're just going to start with that a little bit. Starting
0: with the Dopey theme theme song. Yes, of course. So I'll just, I I can explain it. So Dopey, a lot of you do know the Dopey podcast. If you don't, download it. You know, we've talked about it a lot. It was Chris and Dave from New York. Chris was an old client of mine from the early 2000s here in L.A., and he's one of the funniest guys in the world, and... And he loved drug stories like we all do, whether mm. we want to admit it or not, and laugh. And there's something about that dark humor that's always been around, the sober world. You know what's interesting? I never romanticized using when I was using. I always did it when I was
2: sober. <laughs> right.
0: Because <laughs> right? it ain't so romantic when you're living it.
2: No, the fork recall really adds. <laughs> you know? And the fact you can laugh at the shit that wasn't funny when it was happening.
0: Well, you just, you, you just you're suffering and what sobriety does is give you distance from the suffering and so that you only remember the funny things like oh we yep. were at this place and i od'd and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> i do love telling this story i think i've told it like 10 times where i od'd two times in one day and i had told chris that when he was my client you know because he has all these drug stories he started going to rehab when he's 13 years old can you oh, that, fucking yeah. imagine? He shooting dope when he was 13. So anyways, Chris and Dave have this podcast. And I was in New York a couple of years ago. Bumped into Dave. And he said, you know, we have this podcast. And I'd love you to be on it. And I was on it. And I started listening to the old right. episodes. <laughs> and it was just so great. It was like literally being at Canners in 1996 with me and my friends sitting around after a meeting telling drug stories about each other cuz we all knew about the stories of each other and yeah. and they just did this podcast for years called Dopey sadly but not surprisingly Chris OD'd and died 12 12 days ago
1: yeah and
0: so so, so that today's episode we're going to like talk about Chris and talk about that whole thing that's going on which I had been on Dopey, talking right. about the fentanyl in the dope.
2: I think I admonished you for going on there. <laughs> I think it was one of those things where I gave you a call and said, you know what they talk about. <laughs> know. You know what they're doing. They're propagating drug use, Bob. And yeah. then and then my, my wife... You
0: and Shelly and a bunch of friends of mine, they, they all work in treatment. But my, my, my,
2: wife loved, my, my wife loved the stories. So we talked to one of them and I said, I just want to apologize, guys. I think it's mostly jealousy that my wife listens to you guys all the time. And, <laughs> doesn't and doesn't, to doesn't listen to me because she, she gets a year full of me every night So I did I was able to make peace
0: You have to know is so I Because I met Dave in New York and then I was on the podcast Then I started listening to old dopey podcasts. And I just loved them Then I started talking to all the people I work with and friends and old friends that work in treatment and The majority of them were like I've heard of it. Well, here's the majority <laughs> of it a majority of clinicians Had heard of it, but never heard it and had a negative opinion about it. I said, you got to listen to it. It's fucking crazy funny, you know. And the last episode they just did before Chris died, tragically and suddenly and surprisingly, not surprisingly, um, was with Artie Lang, who, who... there are certain addicts in the world that i bow down to <laughs> right Artie yeah. lane is
2: one but did he overdose twice in one day i don't think so
0: he's been arrested twice in one day good for him that's <laughs> a start there, that's a start but there's but like chris's story which if you're a dopey listener it's part of you're a part of dopey nation it's called yeah <laughs> So, if you're a dopey yep. nation or a do- dopey devotee, you know Chris's story. Started going to rehab when he's 13. Been in, like, 30 rehabs. He was in our rehab for five months and used in the rehab and then used the day he left. Like, why even <laughs> go to rehab? Oh, my God. <laughs> right? And so and he's just old school east coast kind of guy and what's funny is he was one of my partners in the nation about this fentanyl shit and then he died of it Yeah, well, it, it's that, so fucked up so let's play I, a little you can't even believe how fucked up that
1: is let's play a little bit from the dopey yeah, thing yeah let's hear and it. you let, guys gotta let, hear it let's hear uh, Chris uh, Chris talking about yeah. uh, the bags that you can get in New York if anybody's <laughs> ever been a junkie and,
0: Chuck, Chuck is. Got the meanest Lip. look on his face right now. He's like, "I don't know about this. <laughs> God damn it. I, I,
1: I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure." I, uh, a lot I'm of people sure. don't agree with drug logs, and they don't want to hear him in meetings. But oh, you know what? Him. Fuck it, man. Right, let's I mean, hear I, it.
0: Then stop talking to him. Let's hear, Chris. All right. go. Right. <laughs> a thousand stamps in a room, and there's like Bernie some graphic Sanders
1: designer, and he's stamp. like, "Pablo, no. I need the, I need <laughs> the fucking
2: stamp. I think I need a Bernie Sanders stamp." <laughs> if there was a Bernie Sanders bag. <laughs> I would relapse. Like, that's amazing. I <laughs> feel burned. You <laughs> so? I'm sure there is. Wow. You don't yeah. think so? Maybe. I, I, I think. I feel first. like I'd be more inclined to buy a Trump bag, not because I'm a Trump supporter. <laughs> but because I feel like it'd be better, you would die. Yeah, yeah. I would die. That's a dope. That's straight fentanyl. For. Is the is trump the <laughs> bag? See, he's talking
0: about fentanyl on the it's show. More the
3: fentanyl
2: it's more profitable with the fentanyl, anyways. Fentanyl is the trunk bag. Is the fentanyl bag nine hundred dollars?
0: It's more profitable with the fentanyl, anyways. Um, I was googling. I was googling dope bags. Okay, so that's, that's, that's a little Something flip from about that. that show was just so great. You know,
2: I I know why my, my wife loved it because she. She never, she never lived in in the drug culture, so it was her, it was her, her looking, view pe- into, it, into it, and it was a safe way to be able to be, you know, I don't know, all
0: this stuff you never told her. Well, ah! the, uh,
2: well you know, she always wanted to know weird shit, like you know, h- how do you cook it up? What do you, what do you mix with it? What, well, why do you use don't be able to explain it? Why do you do that? And it's just like you know, because it's, it's interesting to her. It's a taboo thing you know, the way she, the way she is, it's just not part of her world. So of course there is interest. I mean, why do you think all the, all the prison shows, why do they keep
1: making
0: prison prison shows? shows.
1: Because people that haven't been to prison want to know. Okay. So that brings me to Chris talking about his drug mem idea that he wants to put on his Instagram. Uh, he, he's making drum. Just listen to this. Hold on.
0: Okay. Let's hear this.
1: In, I thought I actually wanted to do this when I was in jail. So like if (laughs) you go to flush the
2: toilets and the toilets don't flush, like they can turn off the whole block, you know what I mean? That means they're going to come in and toss cells and they don't want you to be able to get rid of contraband. That's your cue. So I wanted to do like a cartoon thing where basically like the toilet won't flush – and then, like, one of the cellies is holding a syringe and a packet of mayonnaise. And he's like, your <laughs> turn. So the picture you is, of, you have a, a, a guy in jail. Is he wearing, like, an old school prison outfit with the stripes and the hair? Yeah, we could do that. And he's got a, a jar of mayonnaise in one hand and his... Bingi, <laughs> yeah. Like three dudes on earth that
0: would
3: get that. Yeah, band. nobody
1: will get it. <laughs> no, none of them are on Instagram. Right, they can't afford iPhones. <laughs> <laughs> you <never know>. Oh <laughs> my like, god! Like a still little bit Fucking so harsh, great. man.
0: Oh my god. <laughs> okay. yeah, so if you've never heard Dopey podcast, just those two snippets, you get the idea. <laughs> Good, oh, fine, well I got, done, Mike. So you get an idea of Chris and Dave, and they're great, and it's so sad that. Dave's Dave's just beside himself, and especially Chris's wife and uh, or or fiance found him. Found he she yeah. found the love of her life dead twelve days ago. And the and the and the reason why I think it's important for us all that are involved in this podcasting media addiction kind of world is Chris is the first one since this modern media world who was a public figure of sobriety who just. Odin died right and so it really is something <clears throat> yeah. to talk about and and that it's susceptible. i talked about it with dr drew on on the podcast he and i have and he he in the back of his mind i'm gonna die someday and and hmm. what what the, those that know what drug addiction is are surprised if the drug addict lives out a natural life
1: wow that's You've got
0: of. to fucking realize that.
2: Yeah, you know, Mike was in here earlier and he's like, Yeah, he's at, he goes, Wow, we got some sobriety in here tonight because Jack's at 23 years and you're like, Wow, 22, 23.
0: Where are you? 22.
2: And then Mike's at 25, 26. He's not sure <laughs> it's 25 or 26, but he's definitely up there. And I'm coming up on 21 at the end of this month. Mike so it's
0: well, <laughs> like, so I know Mike much life better than him. He will have 26 years on Christmas Day. That is oh, that right. is
2: excellent. But so it's like, we, we got 100 years sitting in, in these rooms, right? Yeah. Just the four of us. That's amazing. And that doesn't happen. And it doesn't it's happen not surprising. Anymore. It's not surprising when some, someone like us goes out and drinks themselves to death or overdoses or does something stupid either. Those are the next, those are the next stories that happen.
0: Well, I think that everybody has to, when something like Chris, ha- when the thing happened with Chris, like Dave called me right when it happened. And I was like, I just cared about Dave. That's all I really cared about. Chris is dead. Right. You know what I mean? But there's so much, and I see it all the time, there's so much talking about the person who died. They're dead. If I die of drugs, I'm dead. Worry about Chrissy and Sid and Elvis and Elijah. Don't yeah. worry about me. That's right. You know what I mean? And and that that's the, also the, why the, I the stay sober. Is, yeah,
1: the fight is over.
0: It's all why I stay sober too. And Dave and I have talked about that. He has two kids. Like, listen. Mm-hmm. You have to have all these different... I, I call it it's a, it's a, it's an evolving kind of uh, motivation, right? So my motivation when I started out being sober was not to go to prison. That was my sole motivation right. to be sober. <laughs> I mean it wasn't to end up here doing no, this? No, it wasn't the, the, the <laughs> gra- to become grateful for every day sober. It was to not go to prison. Right. And that right. lasted... That motivated me pretty good. Once you latch on to something, I don't really think it matters what it is. It could be a friend of mine, one of my best friends got sober because his wife was going to divorce him. And when he came to me, I was like, dude, that's not good enough reason. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it was. He's got coming up yeah, yeah. on nine years. Right. Like it, it is for him. But for me, it was like, oh, I don't know. How do we do that? Let's get a divorce.
1: <laughs> no, I got sober because Susie, Susie was going to kick me out. I know. And so I thought, well, I better just stay sober for, you know. But I didn't so plan on staying sober. So everybody has
0: these motivators, but that's not the reason why 25 years later you're staying sober. No, it can't right, even. It right, right. doesn't even exist anymore as a motivation. My my, I remember the day I had about three years of sobriety, and I had this horrible case in Orange County, which we're not going to get into Orange County because I'm outnumbered here by three Orange Countyans, though Mike won't say he is. Long Beach apparently is <laughs> L.A.
1: but That is Los Angeles County.
0: <laughs> I knew he would do that. It's
1: not Orange County. Dude, it's
0: three miles away from Orange County.
1: Dude, there's far too many black people in Long Beach for it to be in Orange, in Orange County. Oh is that that's is that how qualification?
3: You
2: County? They so just if, all black if it seems to be uh yeah the people So when the, the African American percentage goes up will be LA County?
0: Yeah, I guess You'll, I'm LA looking County forward to will it creep into, but I don't want to go down a rabbit hole about Orange County <laughs> but but I,
2: but I well, at I least could, we don't allow I, any needle exchange in Orange just, County. <laughs> I can just tell you
0: that my I was three years sober, and I had this case in Orange County, and the guy was an asshole. My probation officer was an asshole. The testers were assholes. The court fee people were assholes. Everybody in that Santa Ana court system is the most unpleasant, hateful assholes I've ever met in the justice system. Every time you interface with them, it's miserable. So... Three years of that, formal probation with testing, right? Three years of it. Finally, I fulfill all obligations to the court. I go down there, and I'm expecting, like, there's, I, I didn't expect a cupcake, but I expected an boy, <laughs> yeah. right?
2: Well done, Mr. Forrest. No,
0: well done. By this time, my, my original probation officer, I had the case for like eight years. So the original guy had retired and turned it over, Larry LeFever, his name was, he turned it over to Yolanda Garcia. They, they, and neither one seemed to care whether you stayed sober, whether you did good, whether you paid restitution, or whether you robbed the bank and murdered the whole entire staff. Hmm. They just treated you like shit, no matter how well you were doing. And, and so I go down there, and it's fulfilling my obligation to the court, and I expected... At least the judge who I'd been in front of, I'd been in custody in front of like three times. I had been in front of, you know, every ninety days for three years, and I had done everything expected, paid back all restitution, done everything right, all drug clean drug tests, and I sat there and they they said, they said Okay, Mr. Forrest is completely blah blah blah, and it goes doesn't go to summary, it gets creates closed, and blah blah. And I'm and he looks at me and I'm thinking, here it is, the thing I've been waiting for for years. What's motivated me to change? I'm going to get a good job, Mr. Forrest. Oh, validation yeah. from the bench. You know what he said? He said, "Okay, this case is dismissed, but anything other related to court cases that Mr. Forrest has, he's going to have to follow over with that." And I was like, "I don't have any other court cases." You know what I mean? And it was just like it was just paperwork shuffling, right? Mm. I walked out of there so angry, I I thought about using. I want to know what you did. I thought about using. How how did you get them back, Bob? Oh, getting them back, getting out of Orange County. (laughs) You showed them, (laughs) but you know what? But I realized that day and that next day talking to people in the program, like that, it's over. That first stage of what got you to three years sober is over. You no longer have that motivation, Mm -hmm. and you didn't even get an Attaboy. That's how life is, motherfucker. And try telling some of our clients that these days. Right. No. <laughs> try telling a millennial that, right? <laughs> right. And, so, and
2: so, Wait, wait. wait. I, got it, I got it because it's funny because we do this thing where they, they coin out. We coin them out and everybody goes around the room and tells them what they see. It, you know, it's, a, it's a kind of cool thing. You get some recognition. But when they come through the second and third time and they want to do that, and I say, listen, you already got your coin out, but I want a coin out. It ain't happening again. You already had it. You get
0: that once. Oh wow. Do you only do it once? You do it Um, you do it once. So
2: I mean you should see the faces. It's like, wait a second. I'll go exactly. to another rehab and get a coin out <laughs> yeah, there. But they'll give me
0: a coin out yeah, down yeah the, street. Yeah, fucking, uh, <laughs> yeah, the pillars I can pull coin out. <laughs> right? Yep. So, But the point I'm trying to make is then the, the people around me that, that were elders, that were wise, said, you have to find something else that motivates you. Mm-hmm. And I really didn't have anything else. It well. was all like, I don't want to go to jail. I just go to meetings. I don't have an ob- uh, option here. I'm going to be sober. I go to a meeting every day. That's it. I don't, I don't want to go to prison. I don't want to go to prison. I just go to meetings. I don't, and that was over. So I've been very aware that you need different motivations along the way. Now it's like, I can't leave fucking two little kids and a, and a kid who still needs me, a grown adult who still needs me, and a wife that loves me. I can't. And I've talked to Chris about this. Right, because his motivation was finally, I just don't want to go to rehab. I don't want to go to jail. I just don't want to see the disappointment my parents face. And th- and he had gotten out of that. And you have to get a second stage of motivation. And what his was, he was going to become a psychologist.
2: All right, right? that's what my wife said. He yeah, going yeah. for his Psy-D.
0: Yeah, and and I was like, I don't know if like staying sober to become a psychologist it really will work. And he's like, Yeah, it does, because I focus on education. I I just like. I don't think that's it's got to be it's got to be primal. The motivation like freedom, you know, approval, love, acceptance. Um, it has to be physical and like that, you know, and he he's the most critical of it because I, I think it's all bullshit. Marriage and family <laughs> therapists and all this bullshit. Some of my best friends are. <laughs> yeah, some of, my, some of my best friends are, and some of the stupidest people I know are PsyDs, so, <laughs> so it doesn't mean anything. What Chris was going to bring to the table was powerful, right? Okay, right. That's why I was, I was so happy he was doing that, but, but I didn't think it was motivation enough. I, I think, you know, and, and Dave and I have talked about this for two weeks since it happened. Like, he's got a two-year-old and eight-year-old just like me. Like, listen... Mm. Listen, you can say you can't stay sober for your kids, fine. Those are people that don't have kids.
2: That's one of my least favorite things Is when Like I have a guy Who's a client right now Where he's like You know I I, want, I really want to be there For my grandkids And I can just hear people In meetings telling him, You can't do it for your grandkids For anybody well, you, else
0: You can't do you, it for anybody else I did it
2: for a judge Who hated me Right I, <laughs> like, Motivation can I be from what, anywhere
0: I don't know where That motivation
2: of God comes but from But I'll, I'll tell you, you know, how stuck I am in the, in the rooms Thinking about this Is that The first thing I want to know Is what Chris wasn't doing so that I don't do the he same was worried, thing.
0: I can tell you, David, I, I mean, talked that, about That's it.
2: a huge thing. That's what, know, Everybody wants to know what weren't they doing? Did they not go to meetings? You no, know, it was doing school. It was school. it was
0: school, school, school.
2: Well, that's why I don't go to right. school because I don't want to get.
0: Well, and, uh-huh. and I kept saying, like, listen, I'm a KDAC counselor, right? Even before I had my own rehab, I was making a good living. Like, why has everybody got to become rich? That's another thing. Like, like, a lot of my friends went back to become MFTs. They gave up three years of their life to make $5 an hour more. Like, fuck that. Why don't you just become better at your job and take a risk and open a sober living and turn it into an IOP and fucking make some dough if you want to make dough. You're going to go become mediocre minds in these bullshit fucking institutions I really don't like the education component in addiction. I don't. I think it's, but here's the thing we've had more and more highly educated people and more and more highly educated addicts who work in treatment, and treatment is less effective. So, yeah. what does that say about education and helping junkies stop taking drugs? See, right?
2: I, I can tell you that's what's funny right now is we're going through the shift. You know how things ebb and flow in treatment, right? And, uh, they
0: want KDAC counselors well, They uh, want KDAC counselors back is well, what I'm well, Yeah well
2: this is well. The, the thing that I'm seeing is like For example my friend Erin uh, she's, uh, she's an MFT But she's going back to basics With everything because we're watching people She go, and I We were talking about some stuff the other day And I go you know what? you're going to get in trouble talking like that And she goes I don't care Because
0: you I don't be care I want to help
2: people I want people to live Because the idea of if you're in treatment for four months and then you're out for a week and you're loaded again. I mean, there's no outside support in that whole thing. We've been through this. We've yeah. been around this tree so many times. I don't want to do it again to the people that listen. But the, the whole idea of it's, it's great to have you know science changes and thoughts change and this whole medically assisted treatment thing. And then we'll watch schools of thought come and go. But the, the whole idea of where it always comes back to is one addict, one drunk talking to another. That's, that's what works. And, as long as people have that but component.
0: then and there's different I, I I say, you know, stay in your lane, my lane is real junkies want to hang out with me and and learn from me what i've learned from others the real junkies who are seeking a new way of thinking that 's who I can help i can't help people who want to talk about their childhood trauma and abuse, though I have childhood trauma and abuse in my personal story and in healing from that but that's not my area of expertise my i'm a junkie i know how to help junkies who want a different insight and a different perspective on life i'm not uh, into fixing people's trauma right but some of my best friends are some of the best trauma people in town right mackenzie phillips has a place called uh what is it called? They talk about a woman who survived trauma. Uh, it's called breathe, right? They just only do trauma work, really. I mean, they're so they're rehab, but they're trauma, right? Okay. What I don't like is when and when rehabs say they're great at everything. They do trauma, they do eating disorders, they do this, they do real junkies, come on by. Everybody, we're the best at everything. You know what I mean?
3: Are you young? Are you old? Are, Are you, you old? fat? Are you
0: skinny? Come on now. Cause we've got somebody something track for everybody. Right? It's just bullshit snake oil. And so, so through the years, it's just like within a couple of weeks or a month, I know who I can really help. And, I, and, I, you know, and then the rest is just passing people off like, hey, maybe you'd be interested in talking to so-and-so. And really being able to, to know what you're good at and do it. And I think that hopefully that's what the industry is going to become. Right? As it contracts, people will find what they're good at and be known as being good at that, right? And hey, know the
2: population that they can serve best. The, the big deal is seeing when someone doesn't fit, which is why I respect my boss. He's good at saying, this isn't working for this person. As much as we'd like for this to work, I got a new system
0: for you if you wanna know. A, I've yeah. done it with two people and it works like a charm. <laughs> I did it with another person <laughs> like about two years ago too. So I put him in Cry Help for detox. But once they're ambulatory, I have them go to the cry help groups throughout the day to get a glimpse of what real rehab is. <laughs> and then after their like 7 to 10 day to 14 day detox, depending on the drug of choice, then they go to Malibu. And every, t- every time I see them, they're like, Bob, I'm so grateful to be here. Because they got a taste of real rehab it, it could for like been. a week. Right? Instead of the threat of real rehab, right, that, or an either or, they get to see what is to come uh, if they don't be grateful and thankful and appreciate and and embrace and take advantage of the opportunity of, a you know, whatever aloe is, a high quality typical rehab, right? It's not a bad thing. Well, mm-hmm. But, but, if if you let them detox at aloe and then they just go through the they start complaining about the food and, you know, like, like whatever. But if you yeah. put them in cry help to detox around gangsters and hooligans and people like you and me, Chuck,
1: they're not going to complain. They're
0: not going to complain when they no, get to Malibu. They just shut
2: up. Yeah. They do. You know, you're, you're, I, that's, I really miss the, um, Gosh dang it well, You've never Pat, been to The Pat help, right? No but the Pat Moore Pat Moore
0: It's the same thing <laughs> where, where It's at, a little nicer Than Pat Moore but, Foundation
2: but, but, I would, but I would take And we don't have them Where we used to anymore It was such a great place To put I've people I thought
0: Stanton Recovery Was still going Stanton is still It's
2: in um, It's in Garden Grove Oh No I think they moved out Of the Rock Center building Didn't they on Beach Boulevard. Uh, yeah, Beach that's Boulevard. where they were. They were on Beach and Dale when I went through there.
0: Dude, I went to Knott's Farm with the kids a couple of weeks ago. Dude, Beach Boulevard is ground zero of drugs. Like, so there should be rehabs on Beach Boulevard. That would be my opinion. Well, there's the there's, there's Americana about your, Hotel. If you care about your county.
2: Everybody I know that gets kicked out of wherever they're living goes, I'm going to the Americana.
0: So I, I do think that Chris was focused on, uh, like, Definitely, he was modeling after a few people that he trusted and liked that were junkies that became clinicians, and I hope I was one of them. I think I was. I loved Chris. I thought he was the funniest. Like, there are once in a while these special junkies that come into your life, and he was (laughs) one of them. So, he came into our rehab and he tells the story all the time and he told his family because they're from boston or something told me he's going to the best he's going to the dr drew rehab or whatever but you know <laughs> we were uh, we were a psychiatric hospital and me and drew's unit was 40 beds that was like kind of off away like betty ford centers is off away from eisenhower medical center right And so we were off away, but we all, all our staff at our units would always be going through the main building and ate in the cafeteria where all the psychiatric patients were. So that's where I met Chris was in that main building. He had checked in and played like a psych patient and then went to the psych unit and then got a bunch of psych drugs and got benzos and (laughs) and his parents thought he was with Dr.
3: Drew. Good for him. (laughs) Good for him.
0: And so then so then he, we hit it off and we started talking and then I ran groups in the psych ward once a day and and I you know, and I realized he's a junkie. You know like when you sit down and do a group, especially like a duels group, and there's one person that's just like the co facilitator of the group. <laughs> that was Chris. That was Chris. He knew everything that a, that a clinician would uh, know. That's great. And he wasn't a psych patient, but he was in there. I
1: well, love <laughs> when did, they're using
0: benzos.
1: He had been through a lot of rehabs, right? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, He was talking about that, like over nine hundred thousand dollars as
0: parents. Yeah, right? and that's back in so the nineties. Nine hundred thousand, not nine hundred thousand <laughs> oh in modern times. Nine hundred thousand is not that much. I know a family that spent two million so far. But, oh my God! But, so far, oh so God. far, <laughs> yeah, so kid. far.
1: Yeah, it was heartbreaking oh hearing him talk on that last episode. As hearing, hearing him talk about his guilt, you know that about, about his, his, parents. his parents,
0: right? But I mean, here's the other thing. I, I don't. It's not completely only Chris's fault. The recovery industry is complicit in this, right? People saw that his parents are people of means. Right. And so he would go to this one rehab after another, just like he was at Los Angeles for like three months, four months, and then came back. And then he was, was in outpatient duel. And, and he, he did that everywhere. You know, he did it at Betty Ford. He did it everywhere. And so at a certain point, the ethics and standards of this industry have, have, have slipped so far that as long as somebody else wants the person to be sober, they will get treatment, rather than that person wanting help. Right. Right. And that's what Chris's story is. His parents wanted him to get help, but he didn't really want help. And I was like that too. I was like the cutting edge of that in the late 80s because <clears throat> everybody in my life wanted me to get sober so that they would have success, is kind of how it kind of works, right? Well, what, parents want what relief. Was
2: this, what was this final thing? what
0: what how jail jail just like me
2: so he was just he was done didn't want to go to jail jail Mm
0: -hmm. works really good as rehab
2: to spoiled brat children (laughs) yeah it works good for even (laughs) non-spoiled brat children
0: but listen to this but what's bad is they're now they're not even charging people with drugs anymore so now the spoiled brat children like me and chris and a hundred other people i know that got sober because, you know, that was really a consequence. Our parents, I think
1: you fall into the whiner, <laughs> the, the whiner category, Bob, more than wow. the spoiled brat. I was
0: a whiner. I was a whiner. Can I we to stop. Can't we stop? I would yell in the front of the van, like, stop. I need to get Mad Dog 2020. We need to stop. <laughs>
3: like... <laughs> Yeah,
0: And I would drink Mad Dog 2020 And then have diarrhea And have to stop like three times before And we're just going like Trying to get to the next town And these guys gotta live through this Mike, were you there when I pooped in the back of my shirt?
1: Yes, I was there. <laughs> yeah. Oh my it god! It, was, it, shirt, right? it yeah, was a long shirt, right? It was a white shirt. In the, in it the, wasn't. The, it wasn't like a brown shirt. It, it was, was a br- He always shirt. wore white, like a white, white. bright was white the, shirt. It was
0: the Frankie Goes to Hollywood shirt. Oh
1: my <laughs> god! Or no,
0: <laughs> uh, Jaboy uh, uh, Wham j- Wham. Uh, choose <laughs> Choose Life. If there, was one, life. if there was one, if there was one heroin addict wearing a Choose Life shirt in 1988, if there was one
1: Thelonious <laughs> monster album that didn't get written, it was the Lonely Lovely Winer.
0: <laughs> yeah, that was me. So, but, yeah, but everybody wanted me to get sober so we could play music, so we could, you know, t- take advantage of opportunities coming our way. Girlfriends wanted me to be sober so that I would be a successful musician so that they could, I don't know, have a stainless steel refrigerator. I, I, you know. <laughs> oh, that's good. No, so, well, that's, that's, <laughs> that's the, the goal. joke. The <laughs> joke is, so Flea, Flea, I always compared myself to Flea and Anthony, obviously, so I was doing pretty good. I go over to Flea's house, and he goes, I gotta show you something. And he... Shows me stainless, he got one of the, this is in like 1986, he gets a stainless steel refrigerator, like I would never seen one. Like a double now door. Now everybody, yeah, like a double door, but stainless steel, back in that, that was like, fuck, what the fuck is this? He's, this is, I don't have one of these, I gotta get one of these. <laughs> I gotta sell enough records <laughs> to make enough money to get one of these, right? Ooh. Stainless steel refrigerator, I remember. So then, I do get one. Eventually, in like 1989, I'm living down on Sixth Street near La Brea, and I get a, you know, and we're at we need a refrigerator. I'm like, I know exactly what refrigerator we need to
3: get. <laughs> <laughs> we need I a stainless did. steel. I've, I've had course, my eye
0: I got, on this one for I, a year. I, I've been playing this for two years. So then, eventually, what's so funny is I got evicted from that apartment for getting back on drugs and the band falling apart for the 18th time, and I had to. You know, I was moving all my good stuff out, and then that fridge, I was like, ah, fuck it, I'm just gonna have to leave it. Oh, oh, <laughs> but so then, a couple years later, when I get sober, I go to leave. After he goes, you guys see this fridge? And I go in there, and he's got he's got the glass door so you can see like it's a restaurant. <laughs> and I'm like, fuck, I gotta get the glass door refrigerator <laughs> now.
2: Oh no! How much
0: does this cost?
2: Those are pretty cool, though. I, I gotta uh, admit, they're they're still uh, cool. I still like those.
0: And you, and what's interesting is, and a couple of my friends have them. He doesn't have one still anymore, but they always line everything up. Like I like these drinks, whatever they are, the organic maple syrup drinks. So you get like eight of them when you have the glass refrigerator, and you line them all up in yeah. perfect <laughs> order, so that anytime you walk by, like that fucking looks badass. That fridge <laughs> yeah. right there, Yeah. right? Yep. And so. So, you know, and I would just share all this stuff with Chris through the months that he was there, like just my life. And and that's what he connected with, I think. And I hope that that's part of why he wanted to have his own. I think he wanted to have his own rehab or he, he was open minded. He, he was looking at the medication assisted treatment, which is another thing that they teach in school now. You know, I keep railing against this substance use disorder. Does that mean that there are people that use methamphetamine correctly? That's all I want to know. Because if it's substance use disorder, if it's disordered use of substances, then that suggests that there are people who use substances orderly and correctly and rightly. And I want to know. Now, I'm sure that people can use marijuana that way. But I just want to zero into ground zero. Are there people... Who, who use methamphetamine orderly and correctly. Well, am, we, amphetamine, Adder, Adderall. But, that, but adults don't need Adderall. What, the big lie, and Chris? that was another part of Chris's story, too, that you bring it up, and Drew was zeroing in on that Adderall thing. So adult hyperactive disorder... ADHD, right? Adult, but for adults, right? Attention, to, yeah. The proper medication is not stimulants. Stimulants work as stimulants in adult, fully realized. No, speed brain. is for kids. No, th- there's other <laughs> drugs. Speed is for kids. I, I'm telling you, speed is only for the un. Kind of uh, the, the forming brain.
2: I'm trying to get and it on. I'm trying to get bug on it before he grows up. Crazy!
0: Out. What these motherfucking drug companies and doctors, t- what they propagandize to us? Children should take methamphetamine, but adults should not.
2: Well, it's not That's, good for adults. That's what I heard wait, because, about wait, thirty Chuck, seconds ago.
1: Chuck, you're getting you're you're talked about getting bug on.
2: Yeah no no I don't want to get oh, him on okay. it because but he's, he's running out of time he's got ten years and then he can't take it right right I mean, safely
0: yeah, you're being no even even because I, I, I did work in the psychiatric hospital and I was in with the little kids with sad, one of the saddest places on earth lockdown children's unit mm-hmm. so here's the thing all the research was done on Adderall and Ritalin you know decades ago right and they still stand by all that research. I don't know if you've met 11 and 12 year old kids these days but they're going through puberty.
1: Right yeah, true. Huh? Puberty
0: used to be like 13, 12 13, sometimes 14.
1: It's antibiotics and right? all the
0: food. That's see that's a uh, now he got that from Keith Morris and Pete Weiss right no, there. No, I didn't. Yes you did. You I got did it not. from Pete Weiss's podcast. No, I didn't. The conspiracy podcast you know but about if that. If they talk podcast? about it, they're right. I
2: have, it's the Blow Mind Yeah, show. Blow
0: Mind show. Yeah. So um, they're the big conspiracists. And if you want to check out an even crazier podcast than Dopey, check that out. What's the name of it? It's That's called the Blow, Blow Mind. Mind. The Blow it's Mind, called right? Blow Mind
1: Show. It's great.
0: Right. And they have all the conspiracies. But that's a big conspiracy, is that children are hitting adolescents uh, earlier because there's so much steroids and all the food and, and the, the cows. Food. And uh, why would steroids make you hit puberty earlier?
2: Because they're, they're, they're growth hormones. So the idea is they stay active somewhere in the uh, somehow in the animal flesh and then even with cooked animal flesh is the still there. And, and, I
1: mean, you see a lot of supermarkets and in in products.
0: So, so understand that, that that is a sign. Puberty is a sign that the brain is is pruning and evolving and no longer a child's pruning? brain. It's, it's called pruning, yes. So it's it's no longer a child's brain. It's starting to uh, become fully, uh, you know, it's evolving into an adult brain. Fully realized brain, and that and adole- and puberty is the sign that that is starting to happen. So they keep saying you can take this till you're 15. That's bullshit. You should okay. you should have a rule. You take it to adolescent, till, till 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 puberty till puberty is really set in, right? And I've just noticed. I, I you know I hate to say it. I've heard of friends of mine's daughters having their period when they're like 10 years old.
2: Yeah, no, I've heard like That's 9, crazy. 10. That's,
0: that never used to happen.
2: No, but the, when people say it and they act like it's normal, that flips me out a little. So, it's so not.
0: Th- just so I can propagandize against Big Pharma even more, understand that <laughs> they they are telling you to give methamphetamine to your child, and then they are saying, but don't give it to adults. But every psychiatrist in America does. Yeah, that's the. It's called off-label use, right? That's how the big pharma makes their trillions of dollars. Remember the be- the best my friend Jay Ferris said it best. Once he once I explained to him big pharma and he researched it and he started seeing what they're doing historically since the 50s until now going from the the short-term uh, disease to short-term illness to chronic disease model. That's what big pharma did. So, up until the 1970s, medicine was to assist the body in healing except okay. in rare situations like diabetes, right? Then came cholesterol and all that kind of stuff, and then came heart disease. And the reason why there's heart disease medicines, if you look back in the 1950s and 60s, people died in their 40s of heart attacks yeah. because there was not heart surgery and, and stints and, and understanding of the heart. So you just fucking died, Right. But so, right. so those kind of things evolve. So there is, there is medicines for heart disease, medicines for cholesterol, medicines for diabetes. And America started accepting that people just take medicine every day till they die. It's called the chronic disease model. And big pharma modeled after that in mental health, right? Mm. There's no evidence that other than schizophrenia, any of this medication helps anything. That's the truth.
2: <clears throat> and what is that? Lithium
0: for the Depakote and and uh, you know the, now there's all kinds of new ones. Boost, they do, boost list, bar, they, they, do they, they do
2: Lithium for um, borderline do, personality disorder.
0: Yes, it's just not even an organic thing. <laughs> it's a personality <laughs> you disorder. You know what? You know what works really good for borderlines? Anorexia and heroin addiction. <laughs> God, that's so harsh. <laughs> that True. is so harsh.
1: I've been checking out the Amish. I think the Amish got the, got the right idea, man.
0: They Just, they you know, pray and say because there's no
1: there's no they, there's no, no growth hormones shit. in their in there's their cows.
2: No well,
0: what about this though? They do something that I I have done before, which is interesting. Try it for a week, or t- you got to do it for like a week. Get up with the sun and go to sleep with the moon. That's what the Amish do, right? So when you're connected to the earth that way, where you're, you wake up, like I wake up when the sun comes up, like about 5.30, 5.45, right? When you wake up and see the sun come up, and then right now you settle down and read a book and go to sleep, it it does something to you, right? Hmm. Somebody, you know, I went to this retreat and that's what they did. And then, and then when I got home, I just, I just continued it for like three days then I just stayed up watching Trump porn or something. <laughs> Trump porn? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, I mean, until three in the morning. I shook that hippie Amish bullshit right off. <laughs> Good for you. you know, but you do feel calmer going to sleep with, with with the sunset and waking up with the dawn. That's what all the Buddhists do up at Mount Baldy right up here. That's what Leonard Cohen did for years and years. You get up with the sun, you go to sleep with the moon, right? and And that kind of earth-centered stuff. And that's not what people are doing. They're living in chaos. They're living in fear. They're living in financial stress and division and whatever. And so, of course, their body starts to show signs of stress-related illnesses, and they're not going to fix why it's happening. So then they're going to need medicine to offset. You're going to need sleep meds. Yeah, yep. yeah you're going to need meds. And so, you know, I think Chris fell into that. I think, I think a couple months ago, I think he, he you know, I got, you know, this is, after, this is after your friend dies of drugs. So you're trying to figure it out. If it was if it was happening to you, I would think, like, I don't know, Chuck had this, uh, you know, he had this colonoscopy, and he seemed a little weird. <laughs> you know what
2: I mean? to like it a little bit much. No,
0: but I mean, if Chuck were to die, I would be like, well, he did have that colonoscopy, <laughs> and then he was he, he was just a little happier when we were doing the podcast. <laughs> you know what I mean? When we, were, when we did the Dopey podcast, which he hates Dopey, he was laughing and having fun. But so when somebody dies, you do that. You, right. you Sherlock Holmes back your last four months with them, and the things that Chris said was he got hurt like at, on a on a vacation like four months ago, and Dave said I didn't pay any attention to it, and he was hurt, and his shoulder was dislocated, or I don't know what it was. So he hurt himself. And then he was studying really hard for school. That's Adderall. And that's when they th- that's that's when he think he
1: started using her. Chrissy
0: will tell you about Adderall. She says literally she passed French from just Adderall. You take Adderall and you read French and you know it for like a week. <laughs> oh, <my God. laughs> <laughs> she, she, had, she had a minor in French, and we went to France. She can't speak a word of it. And I was like, "What the fuck? You like took four years of French in college?" She's no, like, that, was that was Adderall French.
2: That was different <laughs> Adderall. French. That's,
0: Adderall French.
1: Methamphetamine French.
0: <laughs> so imagine, it's like, like steroid muscles. So, uh, you
1: only get it for a little bit. I
0: Adderall used to stay up. For day, I
1: used to stay up for days and write songs. And then at, when I came down, I thought, you know, I thought I'd learned them and everything. And I couldn't remember any of them. Did you write them down? I did. I recorded them, Oh,
0: good, luckily. So uh, you've used the Adderall for songwriting. I
1: did, but I couldn't remember them after I came down. So
0: anyways, Chris is in the university. He's around all those student types. They're all like 10, 15 years younger than him, right? And I think, you know, they pass Adderall around at these colleges all the time, Right. So I don't know if that happened. <clears throat> I know
2: it no- it's normalized in that culture. It's for normal.
0: Sure. Adderall is normalized to to cram or to learn something, and then the injury. So then you know you're you're focused on other things, which is you know this education thing, and you know it's just sad. It, it, that's why when you when you have a friend die, and then you're trying to figure it out, and me and Dave went back and forth like, who fucking cares? He's dead. He's fucking dead, and it's sad. But, you know, for all of us that are living, we kind of got to, like, think, like, you know, what are some of the warning signs? Listen, I'd be dead by now if it weren't for my friend Pat. I'm sure of it. I'm sure I'd be dead. Because he was the first prescription drug addict I knew. He was an old junkie in the 80s, 14 years sober, and next thing you know, he's in rehab. Hmm. And he and that was in like two thousand and three. Two thousand and four, I don't know, two thousand and five. God, it time flies when you're old, I'll tell you that. <laughs> but, time
3: flies.
2: But when you're I think old. he
0: has fourteen <laughs> yeah. years. What is it now? Two thousand yeah, two thousand and four. Okay. So so he was the first person I knew. He's a junkie like me. He thinks like me. He talks like me. And He and I asked him what 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 happened. He's like, Viking and I was like, "What a pussy!" That was my (laughs) first thought. You know what I mean? But then, as we grew closer because of his relapse and getting sober again, I was just like, "Holy God, man! That that would happen to me if it hadn't happened to Pat." You know what I mean? Hmm. And you should probably bleep out his last name, Mike. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> my friend Pat, he will be called. Like my friend Pat, like on Saturday Night Live. Right. But Boy my, or girl, can't my, tell. But my friend Pat was the first prescription drug addict I ever knew about. It was right at a time when I would have been susceptible to something happening, oral surgery or whatever, and it just never dawned on me that junkies would get addicted to Vicodin. It never would have dawned on me.
2: It, it never made sense to me either, but my uh, first wife... Had the what's what's every junkie's favorite disease the fibromyalgia? Di- you get delotted for that. You well, you can get you a can whole get, bunch of stuff, but we get the. Extra- how about
0: dilated for a fictitious disease that doesn't exist? <laughs> that, that's badass.
2: That that was that's got to be the pharmaceutical companies came up with that one. No,
0: you don't know the history of that. No. Oh my God, Chuck, do you not have Google? I have the Google. You have the Google. Then no, you Google. need to Google he has the doctor Google. Who, in, who 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 uh, discovered the disease fibromyalgia. He now is an advocate against fibromyalgia. He says he faked it working for a drug company. He took a cluster of symptoms, and then the drug company had the drug that's advertised on television. And for some reason, he's come clean. He probably came a born again Christian or something. I don't know, but he <laughs> he just can't lie anymore, and he's very outspoken against it and say, I invented the disease.
2: Huh, why, why doesn't he get airtime? Why isn't he on Oprah? Why because, isn't he on Ellen? all why? we want
0: to know is what Trump said this morning. Chuck, don't you know that?
2: Uh, I'm so glad I don't know. I've watched a change, man. I'm loving what I see on things. People have gotten way more civilized. Where at? Uh, in real life? Yeah. Just on the street and social media, people have had enough. I, so many people. There's just those few stalwarts that aren't going
0: anywhere. Well, you got to get off the old folks yearbook and get on the Instagram. <laughs> Instagram is just like I made a conscious decision. I'm only going to show pictures no of my kids. in front of any problems. of this shit. <laughs> what? There's, there's no the no <laughs>
1: in front of any of this shit. It's Instagram, Facebook, and Google.
0: The Google.
1: It is the Google,
2: so, first of all. It is the
1: Instagram. I hope
2: Please, people know Chuck, we're Please, promise
0: me you'll Google fibromyalgia and, and read about it. I will guy. Google he's the fibromyalgia. Fascinating, he's a fascinating guy. I want, like, I want to know him. Because how many people do that? Like how many people? Like I'm. I said you know in the beginning, I it was Celebrity Rehab was my idea, and I wanted to do it, and and I wanted to show addicts on television and humanize things, and and I it was altruistic. The motivation it wasn't financial, it wasn't fame. It was just like fuck this. How they think of drug addicts and talk about drug addicts. Drug addicts are badass. But after. So it was very successful the first season, then the second season, then they had a spin-off show on the second season, then third season, third season spin-off show. So I'd done five seasons, and it was turning into sh- shit, And really. It wasn't, it wasn't what it had, it, it had started out to be. It was really kind of formulated and kind of dumb, and I didn't like it anymore. So I said I was quitting. I told I told the producers and BH One like I don't want to do this anymore. And they're like, quitting, yeah, yeah, yeah. "I'm
1: quitting the celebrity rehab." Yeah,
0: I'm the, quitting the celebrity <laughs> rehab. And and Drew seemed fine with it. Like, and I was like, just elevate Shelly to my position and get somebody else to play her position and whatever. I just to can't. play her position. Yeah, like be the tech. <laughs> well, you know, it's pretty. Everybody that's worked in rehab or been in rehab knows. It's like Drew's the doctor. I'm the counselor. Shelly's the tech. So, make Shelly the counselor, get a new tech, and I'm out of here. And so they, but, but VH1 and networks, when they have a successful show, they don't like that. They don't like character changes. Right. Oh, no, 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 that's not going to happen. And so, and, and I was really like, we've done what I wanted to do with this show.
2: Right, I'm it, taking my ball and I'm going home No
0: I, I already had gotten what I needed right. To get out of it It was satisfying that first season And the goodwill towards addicts And you know just people being compassionate Toward Jeff's Conway And I, I just thought it was You know what I mean people weren't making fun of him anymore So you know, how it, long
1: did you continue doing it Well for? that's the
0: point So that I meet with them And they start in season 3 right and Or season 4 And I'm like um I'm not going to do it anymore. And this guy that run the show, he's like, yeah, come on, Bob. It's, it's about money. And I it's not about money. It's not about money. I already make enough money. I don't, I'm not married. I don't have any kids. I live in Joshua Tree for $4.75 a month. I don't need money. <laughs> and, uh, and he goes, it's always about money. And he goes, "What? What? what's your number? And we were eating at this restaurant on Sunset and La Brea. I'll never forget it. Every time I drive past there, I think about it. And I go... I, there isn't a number he goes what, in your wildest dreams what would you, do you want to be paid and I said $10,000 an episode and he said done and I remember <laughs> shaking yeah. hands and <clears throat> in that moment I became a prostitute for $10,000 that's a good price for
2: that <laughs> ass I'm telling you <laughs> You, you, you did good.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, but... So, so I and, and the fibromyalgia guy reminds me of that because I tell that story all the time. I became a prostitute. I did whatever they said to do. Stand here, say this. Stand Are we there, supposed say to this. talk about this at all? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the fibromyalgia guy is one of my favorite guys. <coughs> I'm glad guys.
2: he didn't wait till his deathbed. I'm glad, you know, I, I need to look him up so that I can see where he's talking about it and why, why it's so quiet because I still see advertisements on the television...
0: The, about it, <laughs> that, but here's the thing, and I'm not disrespecting the people who think they have it because they are in pain. It, you need to see more of a natu- seek more of a natural solution. Um, it usually is childhood sexual abuse, been suppressed, and stress, anxiety, and personality disorder.
1: And it's a, so it's a psychological, not a physical.
0: Yeah, the same as they're medicating borderlines with whatever right. drug what did you say so they're you were medicating them with? With lithium. Yeah. They borderline personality disorder, by the way, of which my mother suffered tremendously and thus I an expert at dealing with it. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> mean, so she could have went in, it? She could have yeah. went in and
1: said she had and nobody gave her. She, she,
3: she couldn't
2: opiates. Though, well, you know, I saw that on I there's this show that uh, Paris Hilton does now called uh, "Hollywood Love Story," and it's about these people that are trying to get rich and trying to get famous, and they they share their art or whatever it is they do with with the audience, and you they you walk through their day with them and their struggle to try and find fame in this city that they've come to that from all over good. the country. What is what's it called? It's called, called "Hollywood Love Story." Is that on the cable?
0: That's a horrible <laughs> title, but I, but I it's like cool it.
2: because the picture for it is a is a toilet bowl with like glitter in the water. So oh, it's like wow. and it, so I've started watching it and it, so it's got this and it's got this girl who says, "You know what? I'm I'm a borderline personality disorder and I went and just picked up my lithium at Walgreens." And she said uh, and she's on, you know, Cameron doing her Instagram stuff and going, "And now I'm going to take it and you know, she, I'm going to take 3 of these. And, oh, look, I feel yeah, better that's, already."
0: that's not so that that's just somebody saying they're taking it for borderline. That's not why she's got it got, getting prescribed it. She's probably getting prescribed for bipolar disorder, but she says it's for her borderline. Yeah, you just
1: got to stay away from doctors, man.
0: I'm telling you, doctors will kill addicts. (laughs) There's no doubt in my mind. And so, you know, and, and here's the craziest thing about Chris. He agreed with everything that I agree with. Like, stay away from doctors. You can't trust no one. You can only trust junkies. The, the world, you know, we're lucky to be here. We're lucky to be sober. It's fucking amazing. And the reason why we're really connected, and fuck anyone who disagrees. <laughs> you know what I mean? He had, he had antisocial personality disorder, right? That's what he had. All okay. those years of psychiatric was, diagnoses and bipolar disorder and all this. So
2: it's more more of an ODD at the end of the day?
0: Oh, yeah.
1: ODD.
2: That's what it's called. Oh, Oppositional defiance god. disorder. It's that's the actual Is that the new term for it? O D D. Oh my god.
0: I had it back in the seventies when it was called Gravely Emotionally Disturbed. what, I, I, what is I, I, that? G E D. I had G E D You had a G-E-D before it was cool. <laughs> no, I remember being I used to have to go see a psychiatrist because I hit a kid in the head with a rock in third grade. That's what you get so, for being stupid. So he wouldn't get off the swing. He wouldn't get off the swing, and I counted the ten. You know the rules. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> Did you count alligators I, or Mississippi? His
0: name is Dick Faraday, and I always felt bad, and I always looked out for him forever after that. But I was coming from L.A. I was, you know, I grew up in the in the Martin Luther King riots and L.A. and hardcore, and then in third grade we moved back to Palm Springs, right, and so. So I'm like this Mm. kid from L.A. that's like played, you know, walked home from school in Inglewood, like, fuck you, get a baseball bat. And now I'm with the kids that are like growing up on the golf courses and like rural loveliness and they've never seen anything like me. (laughs) You
2: you just frolicked.
0: You just (laughs) frolicked in place. (laughs) They were like, you know, they grew up in Palm Palm Springs and I was like from la not just from la from inglewood badass right? motherfucker so so this so it's grade great and i'm out in the playground and in la you know i'm counting on you and you swing and that's one that's two and you get 10 or whatever the agreed rules of the <laughs> playground are 10 or 15 or 20 swings and then you got to jump off and in la you would be counting on someone i think it was 10 or 15 you count, and then the, and their last one, you know how you can jump off a swing? You know, because we're like 8, 9, 10 years old. You get can air, jump yep. really, you get really high air, and everybody goes, fuck yeah. And then the person that gets a swing tries to outdo that. That was like, well, Palm Springs didn't have those kind of things. Bastards. Nobody jumped off the swings. So this Dick Faraday, I'm counting on him, I get to, to 10, I'm like, it's time to get off. I'm, he's kicking me as he's coming up, right? I'm like, what the fuck? What the fuck? You just kicked me? <laughs> I'm counting on you. You got to get off the swing at the certain number. He doesn't get off, and he goes, you know. He said, "Screw you!" Back in the day, or whatever. This is 1971, right? Mm. Screw you, dude. I'm from Inglewood. You do not, <laughs> you do not kick s- someone not screw and me, then son. say, "Screw you." So I picked up a rock, and as he was coming forward, I just smashed him right in
2: the head. With it. Nice.
0: From that moment until I left middle school in eighth grade, I had to see a psychiatrist twice a week. At
1: and you're still justifying it at your age now. <laughs> you're still so <laughs> like in your mind, Bob. You're still right. The
2: oppositional <laughs> defiance disorder is strong in this one. Well,
0: so... <laughs> is that? I'm not saying that I didn't mean for it to go so badly with you. Done with
2: odd. <laughs> Yeah, you know me. <laughs> Bobby Bobby's still rocking
3: the ODD. Wait,
0: how do you enforce rules? That's how we enforced rules in Inglewood. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know that in Palm Springs there's a whole different category of psychiatric diagnoses. No, you wait for your
2: parents to get involved. Then your mom comes over and says, hey, kid, my kid was
1: waiting for that swing.
0: There was no parents involved in Inglewood oh. in Inglewood parenting in any way. They what were are involved you trying to say? after
1: you threw the rock. They were involved. <laughs> uh, yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. My mom was so pissed. You, I had to drive all the way in here, Bobby. That's what she was pissed about. <laughs> she was pissed she had to drive all the way in. She knew the kid had it coming. <laughs> oh goodness! That, see, there it is. So, <laughs> Justification, so rationalization, and but so one of the at one of the day one of the days I was seeing the psychiatrist, he got called out because some some somebody was freaking out in the office, and I was in the room, and he had my file there, and I just took a turned it around, and I saw Robert O'Neill Forrest, Diagnosed diagnosis, gravely emotionally disturbed. I, and I was like, and so he comes back in and I go, what does gravely emotionally disturbed mean? And he's like, oh my God, did you read your chart? And I was like, just the title, like what the, what is that? I'm not that. I remember saying I'm not that. What, <laughs> what I was, was oppositionally defiant and antisocial personality disorder. There you go. That, that sounds quainter. Then gravely emotionally disturbed. O
2: D A P O D A P D. That's my friend Bob. He's O D A P D.
0: When you get antisocial in your rehab, what do you guys do?
2: I dig them. I like them because they're, you know, that it kind of fits. You know, it does kind of fit because you'll be contrary for the sake of contrary.
0: Yeah, I always am.
2: And so that's um, I, I once you know once you know you've got one of those and they're not truly being. Um, they're not truly. That's uh, like, not an actual fight with me. That I know. That's just who they are and how they're going to be. It makes it easy to work with them because I know what to expect.
0: So get this with Chris when you, he was in the psych things. I would have him co-facilitate. I say I don't know. What do you think, Chris? Motiva- right? Motivational
2: interviewing and yes. allowing it to be their idea is the only and, way to and go. And
0: then they, and they keep the group in line for you. But see, these important. MFTs <laughs> don't understand that shit.
2: Oh, they do. I think so. they well, some do. They don't do, do it. They you don't do it. need better MFTs. Huh? You need better MFTs.
0: No, they're all about the same. Listen, <laughs> you, you, you. Te- I, I, I own part of Aloe and I criticize it. You don't even own wherever you work and you never criticize it. Everyone who works there is the absolute best. Oh no, everyone is doing there, the there's, there's, there's best There's work. absolutely person. The owner a bad is person. the absolute best owner. Like, come on, Jack.
2: Yeah. No, there's one guy.
0: But I, I am a little intense, right? And I have a real passion for this, and I don't mm-hmm. like it done poorly, right? So I'm, I'm right, but but I hold myself to that standard too. So and you know what, who what, is a case manager? Who's a case manager nowadays? What's that called? who is? Because I was a case, always counselors, KDAC counselors were also called slash case right. managers. Uh, but now there's a different category of case managers that have nothing to do with that.
1: And what's the abbreviation for that?
0: CM <laughs>
1: <laughs> Case case managers
2: I'm a case manager which means I've got uh, I've got a, so ultimately, I've got a load of I've got a load of X many
0: clients and But who does schedule cuz I always think the, the case manager was the one that did the scheduling of the client. So if they're going to trauma therapy, you're the one that tells them what time trauma therapy is and what building it's in and what and where. That you know what I mean, and tell you, no, what, you what your schedule is. We, Apparently, these other new category of case managers are more like what techs used to be. Techs used to have job responsibilities,
2: right? And well, we have we have like at least where I am now, we've got. Got a couple girls that do like for the dental appointments yeah, and yeah, for the, and those that. things. They schedule all that stuff. They're um, admissions liaisons and they're all... They, Admission liaisons. ALs. Oh, my they're, they're, fucking God. And you know what? I'll tell you what. They're a <laughs> lifesaver if you've got... If you've got 60 clients right. that all need different you know things, I just saver, send them Chuck? to them. You
0: know what's a lifesaver? Three counselors who knew how, know how to do their fucking job. <laughs> Me, Shelly, and Louisa ran a 42-bed rehab by ourselves. Okay. We worked 18 hours a day. We texted 10,000 times throughout a day, but we had a caseload of 12. We fucking knew where our clients were. We knew what dentist appointments they had. We talked to them three or four times throughout the day. This whole, like... Uh, and you know, and I'm a part of it. I, I you know, I gotta it, admit. And, and
2: you know that it's it's all about creating the proper uh, kipu file, <laughs> <laughs> so that so that you so that you can get what's money. The
0: in, what's the initials of that?
2: The K I P O W. Kipu, no, kipu is how is, do you spell
0: is, kipu? K I.
2: And it's not an acronym It's actually from the Brazilian for Keeper For Record Keeper The people that, that came up with the Mike program doesn't,
0: Mike doesn't work uh, at treatment Mike that's how you get paid is so the Kipu, How you it's, get paid is Kipu It's electronic medical
2: records It's an EMR just like uh, AccuCare Or Best Notes or anything like that But it's a way to bill And what I'm busy Filling Kipu full of stuff So we can get paid So I can't do what Bob used to do because it used to be more hands-on cause I I, I,
0: will, I will accept that as true because we used to never take a turn. We're gonna what are we gonna do, Chuck? We're gonna <laughs> we gonna, gonna, gonna We're gonna we're gonna take all this rehab stuff and put it into another show. How about that, Mike? Okay. Until next time, we'll see you later. All right, everybody. Bye
1: bye. bye. Don't die.
0: Don't die.
2: That's the whole thing. Is I fucking hated the slogans. You know what I mean? But then, like, you might have heard it for years, and then there's like one time where it just has this like visceral feeling where you internalize it, and like the slogan just takes on a different meaning in that moment. And then I'm like, damn it, fucking slogan. Yeah, but it's also like there are certain things in recovery that are just totally undeniable. You know what I mean? Like, and if you do not do those things, chances are you can't stay sober, you know? And one thing, uh, and this isn't necessarily funny, but it's true is honesty. You know, if you can't be honest, chances are you can't stay sober.
0: Hey, this is Bob in the Don't Die Podcast. Got 100 people a day dying of drug overdoses, and it's got to stop. Allo Treatment Centers wants it to stop. We want people to get educated about drugs, about treatment. We want you to learn, laugh, and live, but first and foremost, don't die. Hey, this is Bob, and you can get a hold of Allo Treatment Centers at 888-595-0235. That's Allo Treatment Centers in Malibu and Silver Lake, 888-595-0235, 888-595-0235, tell him Bob told you to call.